free evaluate. A 20-minute BS-free conversation with real estate movers and shakers. And your host, White Rock CEO, Jordan Gerard. Welcome to our third episode of Reevaluate, the real estate podcast brought to you by White Rock AI. Today's guest needs no introduction. He's been a New York City private equity investor for over 30 years. He's incredibly direct and very funny. Chris Schlenk has built Savannah into a $2 billion real estate private equity fund that owns in excess of 7 million square feet of real estate. Chris has built or acquired some of the largest and most iconic assets in New York City, such as One Court Square, a 1.5 million square foot office property located in Long Island City. I met with Chris early one morning to talk about his background, the growth of Savannah, and where he sees opportunities going into 2022. Enjoy. So Chris, thank you for being with us on the podcast. It's a pleasure to speak with you this morning. I'd like to start by talking about your background. Can you share more about where you come from, where you studied, and you know what you did before starting the fund? Sure. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure. I grew up in New York City on the Upper West Side. I went to high school on the Upper West Side. As they tell people, I used to run to school. And when I had hair, by the time I ran to school in the winter, my hair was frozen. And so it all fell out. I went to University of Pennsylvania and I majored in French and urban studies. I majored in French because I lived in Paris for a year. And the only way to graduate in time was to be a French major at UPenn. Doesn't make much sense. I came back to graduate in 88. I came back and I bought a building in Fort Greene, Brooklyn. It was a four-story brownstone, 100% empty. And I renovated it at night. During the day, I was working at an SRO, a single room occupancy hotel on the Upper West Side, renovating rooms and managing the building. And we were putting men and women from the city shelter system into the SRO's permanent housing. So I had a day job and then a night job of renovating the apartments in what would have been the first building that I ever bought in real estate in 1988. And then after working at the SRO for a couple of years, I went to Columbia. I got my master's in real estate. So one-year program, an excellent program. And as I also say, it's not what you know, it's who you meet. Met great people. I graduated in 92 and I had met uh, an Israeli guy, a great guy named Jonathan Leidersdorf. He and I started Savannah in 1992. And we started buying buildings in New York City, downtown, you know, value-add buildings that were not working. Vacant office buildings, vacant warehouses in NoHo's, Chelsea, Tribeca, burning them to residential. We did that from 92 to 98. All kind of small friends and family funded. Jonathan was really the friends and family. He funded all of the deals and I had sweat equity. So I built up my equity through doing you know, work. I didn't have any money to put in. And then in 1998, a guy that I went to high school with named Nick Beanstock joined. He had been working at Victor Capital, sort of on the institutional side, and he wanted to get more on the ground floor. And so since 1998, Nick and I have been running the business. Jonathan sort of went into more biotech and internet. Now he's developing hotels, just did hotel and bees anyway. So that's really the, the genesis. And then from 98 to 2006, Nick and I did you know, probably 60 deals up and down the Northeast quarter, sort of Boston to Washington. Uh, value add, but we were doing instead of just friends and family, we were doing with large private equity funds. So we would put up five to 10% of the equity in a typical operator allocator fund, and we would find a private equity fund to put up 90 to 95% of the equity. We would run the deal and we'd get a promote above a hurdle. And we did that till 2006. And then 2006, we realized we were spending a lot of time raising money 
and missing deals because we didn't have the money to put up and go hard. You know, everybody knows the biggest issue is finding a deal and then finding the equity. So Nick and I scrubbed our track record and 2006 raised uh, our first private equity, fully discretionary real estate fund. That was a $313 million fund. And we are about to start raising fund six. So we are in the fund business, although we still are the operators, we run the real estate, but we invest out of a fund. Wow, that's amazing. How did you, you mentioned the difficulty of finding deals and then finding equity. How are you finding your deals in the early days? Because I'm guessing now deals probably come to you on a much more regular basis. I always tell people back then in the early to mid nineties, real estate was a lot easier than it is now. I tell young people to come and talk to me about how to do what I did. It's much more complicated. It's more competitive in many ways today. It's more complex. We found deals through everything, through brokers, through banks. You know, when you're young and you're hungry, you're just talking to everybody. I had a rich, you know, a wealthy partner, so we had the availability of cash quickly, and we just got out there. We got at it, pounding doors, talking to people, taking people to lunch, brunch, and dinner, and drinks. The deals came from every every angle, and today it's the same. We get deals from brokers, we get deals from lawyers, we get deals from people we know, busted partnerships. You have to, if you want to be, you know, find deals in this market, you have to be creative, but you have to keep your ears open and your eyes open. How many funds have you raised since 2006? We're raising fund six now. It's actually our seventh fund. We had a little stub fund called 2A. It's too complicated to get into, but so this will be actually our seventh fund. We've raised about $2.2 billion over the funds. Right now, today, we own about 7 million square feet in New York City. And I would say, while we've done a lot of residential in the past, while we've done industrial outside of New York City, our focus has been over the past really 10 years is New York City value-add office investing. We've built a bunch of ground-up office buildings. We've built a bunch of ground-up residential buildings. But our over the past sort of 10 years, our sweet spot has been buying office buildings that are just not working, not loved, you know, just a lot of vacancy, ownership is sort of tired, buying those buildings and recreating them and remaking them and, and doing lobbies and elevators and bringing some panache and some style and running them and bringing new infrastructure. You know, and the interesting thing is, obviously, you know, the COVID, COVID has really sort of changed the dynamic in the office market. We're adapting. It's a great transition to my question about your portfolio. So your portfolio, at least the portfolio that I've seen on your website, is a little over 50% office buildings. You know, why do you like office so much? And, you know, back in 2000s, when you guys started, you know, what was the, the vision around the office market? You know, I think New York is a great place to live and work. And obviously, office has been great in New York City, has been will be. We've hit a bump with COVID. People have been working remotely where office is really not the flavor of the month. Industrial and residential have really been, and multifamily have been the flavor of the month or the year. But we still like office. And we liked office because New York City is where all of the companies want to be. Look at the Googles, the Facebooks, all these large tech companies. They came to New York in a big, big, big way. Why? Because they could expand here. Northern California cannot accommodate the growth just for housing, the growth. So the companies want to be here. Why? Because they can hire people here. Human resources, people want to live in New York and they want to work in New York. And that's really what drove the office market for so long. That dynamic is exactly what's hit the office market because the big companies are have been working remotely. Law firms are giving back some space. But really what we're seeing is sort of a right-sizing right now where you know the Omicron came in and was pretty devastating for a few months. But I think that's really been a savior because it's sort of given everybody, everybody's gotten it. And I think now everybody's over COVID and everybody's going to be coming back. It's going to be a slow recovery. And New York being 
dense and all the good things about New York that made it a great market were the things that really hurt us probably exponentially in comparison to other cities, you know, the density. So people really stayed home, but we're seeing people coming back across our portfolio. We're seeing a lot of leasing going on. We're doing a tremendous amount of leasing. Everybody I talk to is doing leasing and it's going to be a little bit of a hold to dig out of, but I feel great. And we are buying fund six is going to be buying office in New York city. I do want to say the dynamic, when I said the dynamic has changed, there is an incredible flight to quality. I'm sure you've read about it, all of the people listening to this. Flight to quality, new ground up, class A office buildings, Hudson Yards, Brookfield West, whatever it is, the buildings on Park Avenue, those buildings are on fire, getting incredible rents and getting the best tenants around. It's really sort of the old school B garment center buildings, 50 foot wide, mid block, teeny little elevators. Those are struggling. Those are going to struggle for a while. So how is this trend going to affect Fund 7? Because historically, you've been buying you know, smaller buildings that you were rehabbing. Are you going to buy Class A building and bring them to a Class A plus? Yes, we are. And another thing we're focused on is sustainability and GRES and being a good building in the climate. The slogan has always been location, location, location. Well, it's become location, location, transportation. So our focus, while in the past funds we've been bought you know, some stuff in Long Island City, in downtown Brooklyn, in the Bronx, in upper Manhattan. Our focus for Fund 6, it's our seventh fund, but it's called Fund 6. Our focus is going to be really well transported office buildings. Still buildings that need help, but buildings where what we've seen is, listen, you have to commute, right? You live in Connecticut or Long Island or Jersey, you've got to commute. And most people don't want to drive. So you come into Grand Central, Penn Station or Port Authority, and the buildings that are winners are the ones that are six or seven minute walk from those. So we are focused. We're sort of doing a diameter around the large hubs and focused on that, focused on buildings where we can drag them into the 21st century, buildings where the infrastructure might not be great, where the air might not be great, and then making them you know, well, well, all our entire portfolio is well certified, making them well and healthy, and also making them sustainable. We do a lot of, spend a lot of time on, on sustainability. And NYSERDA and Con Ed have a lot of programs out there to help owners, to pay owners to change their building management systems, which are called BMS systems. So you can put in the new energy saving technology. And we've been doing that across the board. So we're taking buildings that you know are pretty good and we're redoing the infrastructure so that they can be class A in terms of sustainability. So that's a real focus going forward. That's great. Talking about big office class A. Uh, in 2020, you had the fourth largest real estate finance deal in New York City with the refinancing of One Court Square, about $900 million. Is that right? Yep. What's the story behind One Court? The acquisition, how did you get to this property, and, and how do you feel about it today? So, One Court we bought in 2014, just as a little history, it was built for Citibank in 1989 by Tishman Spire. So, it has been a building, iconic, you know, the tallest building in in Long Island City for many, many, many years. It was just upended by a condo across the street, but it was a, the tallest building in Long Island City, iconic green facade, Citibank sign on top, everybody knew it. And so we bought it in 2014. It was a binary buy. Either Citibank was going to renew and stay or Citibank was going to leave. We bought it because if Citibank stayed, great. But if Citibank left, it's great building. It's on four subway lines. So incredible transportation, class A infrastructure, amazing light and air and views. I mean, because there's nothing really around it because of the topography and the train 
from the seventh floor, you have amazing views. So for us, it was an iconic office building, class A infrastructure on transportation. So sort of even before COVID, if you think about what, what do you want to buy? Perfect, perfect building to buy. Citibank did move out. We leased about 450,000 square feet to Altice, which is the cable vision of Long Island, and Centene, Fidelis Healthcare. So they leased just prior to COVID. So they're on the top of the building they're in right now. We built it out for them. It's a beautiful space. Listen, COVID has been tough. It's been quiet ever since. We've been doing deals, but not to the paces we'd like. But I can tell you that we see, again, now that sort of Omicron has rolled through, the location, the transportation, the nature of the building being Class A, activities ramped up incredibly. So we have good hope. Listen, the, the leasing has taken longer, but we love the building. We've renovated the lobby and the elevators, and it's gorgeous. Now, we always say our slogan was the building that you know, but that you don't know, because no one had ever been in the building. Because it was Citibank, it was like a yep. fortress. So no brokers knew it. So it's been interesting to reintroduce it to the market. Exciting. So zooming out of New York City and talking about opportunities outside of New York, you've invested mostly in New York for a long time. Now you're seeing opportunities elsewhere. Where are those opportunities and, and what do they look like for Fund 6 or Fund 7 well, or 8 or 9? <laughs> so I'll tell you where... The I don't see opportunities or that we're not interested in. You know, a lot of people when COVID hit said, okay, suburban office is going to be the new thing. Everybody's going to want that has not taken off. We invested in the late 90s in some secondary suburban office, and it was not a good. Luckily, they were small deals and they're fine, but it was not a good experience. I do not like suburban office. It's not for us. We do not like secondary or tertiary office. It's not for us. So we are not doing that. But when we think about New York, obviously, logistics is incredibly hot. We've done some. We're probably going to stay away from logistics outside of New York just because so many people are doing it. The yields are incredibly low. I don't want to be the last guy at the party. What we are seeing is, as everybody has seen and as everybody reads, there is a movement down south, right, to the Nashvilles, to the Austins. Those are a little bit too far away. But the South Florida market is very interesting to us. And, you know, Nick and I, my partner, have always thought about South Florida as an extension to New York City. And when COVID hit, obviously, South Florida became more of an extension, sort of like the, you know, the number six train line, the Lexington line. It's easy to get to. A lot of companies are moving down there and not moving down there, their entire office, but a lot of back office and some of the, the C-suites are moving down. You know, a lot of big guys want to live down there and spend time down there, save taxes. So, we saw an opportunity to take advantage of this as well. We opened a small little office in, in South Beach or in, in Miami about a year and a half ago. We have a guy that's from Miami down there and we're looking around. You know, we ended up finding a small little deal that's turned into a little bit of a bigger deal in West Palm. And we'll continue to sort of look around for in the West Palm and Miami market for office, maybe some residential. We're still 100% New York City focused. And we'll, you know, if we do stuff down in South Florida, we'll have a dedicated team, which we do. But I like that market. It's robust. You know, there's a lot of movement down there. And so, you know, I think as a real estate investor, developer, you have to keep your eyes open. And I said that earlier, and I say that right now, you've got to kind of go where things are going and you can't be a transient and too set in your ways. Although we really like New York and we're seeing a tremendous amount of opportunity right now. So any South Florida broker with a good deal, they know where to, uh, they know, they know where to go. Yeah. Last question for you. What does it take to run a fund like Savannah? What does it take to grow a fund like Savannah? And what does it take to run a fund like Savannah? What are the challenges? You know, what, what's fun? Well, 
I'll tell you the most important thing about running a fund, having a successful fund, having a successful business is the people. We have been blessed, and I use that word not lightly, to over the years put together an incredible team. You know, I started the business 30 years ago, and we've always added slowly and, and, and consciously. And we have, a, we have 60 people now. We're fully integrated. So we have a construction company called Savcon. We have owner's rep. We have asset management. We have property management. But we've done it slowly and meaningfully and thoughtfully. And so 100% is the people. We have an amazing team. So that's how you run a business, meaning how do I run a business? How do, how do people take us seriously and want to deal with us and talk to us and sell to us? It's the people that are on the team, the people, how they deal with people, how they talk to people. If we say we're going to do something, we do it. The other side is actually running a business, which I'm getting used to more and more. I used to be a very, you know, I'm a control freak. I'm a type A. I'm a Virgo. I started the business. I was doing everything. But as you get bigger and grow, you realize that you have to let your people get responsibility. And, you know, I think the, the average tenure of people here is sort of like 10 years. Most wow. of my MDs have been here for 15, 16 years. So they're well-seasoned veterans in this business. And you have to learn how to let go and trust people. And I do a lot more management now, you know, management of business, management of the company, management of people. I still dig into deals on a daily basis, but you have to learn where to touch and where not to touch every day and where you trust people. And the trust that you give is the trust that you get. And that's how you build a great team. And I'll tell you, the only most important thing is the moral compass. And I see it every day where people's compasses get all skewed. The moral compass during COVID with tenants just walking away from obligations was stunning and disappointing that I'm over it. Our team, we teach everybody. Nick and I have a very, very strong moral compass. You do not bend the rules. I tell my kids, you lie once, you steal once, you're a thief and a liar for the rest of your life. So we are guided by trying to do the right thing to people that we work with. And I tell you, it comes back in spades. So it's, wow. you know, it's, it's fun running a fund. It's fun running a great business, and it's only fun because of the people that we're running. Great lesson right there. All right, bonus question for you. If somebody has $100,000 and a million dollars to invest today, where should they put the money? I guess they can't put it in Savannah, right? Crypto, small... baby. Crypto. crypto. <laughs> <laughs> you know, 100000 did you Did you buy crypto? Do you have crypto? No, too old and dumb. But everybody in my office buys crypto. They all know about crypto and NTFs or NFTs. I wish I got into that, but I didn't. I should have. I'm all in in my business. All every every penny I have is in the business, and I'm happier than a clam. You know, a hundred thousand is tough. A million, I mean, you know, it's you got to hunt around. You know, I never invested in real estate. You know, in in blind, anything I did was in my business or direct. But uh, you know, people have to do what they feel. But it's a great time. Listen, it's it's competitive. But anybody that's got that bug that wants to do real estate. There's always an entry point. There's always an entry point. Then it's a great business. I agree with that. All right. Well, beautiful uh, conclusion to our conversation. Uh, this is Chris Lang from Savannah. Thank you for your time, Chris. I always love Thanks, talking Jordan. to you. And see you soon. Okay. Take it easy. Thanks for listening to Reevaluate, the BS-free conversation with real estate movers and shakers. For more information or the podcast transcript, visit whiterock.ai. See you next month.